Welcome to the National Crawford Roundtable podcast, a view of culture, current events, and politics through a biblical lens, with your hosts, Neil Boron, Bob Duco, Roger Marsh, and John Rush. Now let's join the conversation. Very happy to be with you folks for another week of the National Crawford Roundtable podcast. Uh, myself, Bob, Neil Boron, Roger Marsh. We don't have John Rush with us today, but sitting in for John Rush is Kim Monson of the Kim Monson Show out of KLZ from Colorado. Kim, how are you? Welcome to the Boys Club. How are you doing? Oh, I'm thrilled to get to do this. I'm doing well and uh, very excited. So thank you for having me. Well, hey, looking forward to looking forward to having you spend this episode with us. Thanks so much for sitting in for John. So this week, everybody, we're going to talk about uh, the big news everybody's been discussing, of course, Twitter, Elon Musk and his buying of Twitter. As you know, it came out in the news a few weeks ago that Elon Musk was increasing his share of Twitter. He had bought up to 9% of the shares of stock. He was originally going to go on the board of directors, and he said he wasn't going to go on the board of directors. And everybody's like, why is that? Well, there's a rule in Twitter's board that says if you are on the uh, that, that you can't own more than 14.9% of shares or it, it changes specific rules. And he's like, obviously, he had a vision of taking more than that. And so he puts out a bid for $54.20 per share of Twitter stock, which is about 38% higher than Twitter stock was running on average before Elon Musk got involved. So uh, you had some members of the board that were fighting against this. They even considered something called a poison pill in an effort to try to dilute the uh, the value of the stock to keep him from being able to buy it up. But the bottom line, he was able to secure the financing supposedly, there's some questions now about China or whatever, but bottom line, he's able to uh, secure the financing for this combined with a bunch of money of his own. And so the board voted and said, you know what, we'll do it. Let's just let him take it. So he is buying Twitter. He will own 100% of Twitter. He will take it from public to private as a company. And he says he's doing this primarily because he believes in freedom of speech, and Twitter is pretty much the public forum worldwide for people to come together and discuss things with each other. And we've seen the censorship that Twitter engages in. I mean, the former president of the United States is not allowed to go on Twitter. Uh, And we've seen many cases where conservatives have been banned from Twitter for saying things that Uh, or that uh, liberals and Democrats have said things way, way worse. And of course, they don't get banned. China doesn't get banned. The mullahs in Iran don't get banned. Louis Farrakhan doesn't get banned. Uh, But conservatives get banned. And New York Post having their news story about Hunter Biden, as you know, censored right before the election of 2020. So uh, Elon Musk says, look, we're going to bring back uh, freedom of speech on Twitter. And now a bunch of liberals are having meltdowns going, this is terrible. So that's kind of a catching up of where we are to this point. But this is an ever-changing story. So who knows what the situation with Twitter and Elon Musk is going to be tomorrow or a week from now. But that's where we stand right now as we record this. So we're going to talk about a lot of different aspects of what's going on with Twitter and Elon Musk. And let's kind of work our way around the table, if we could, to get everybody's general thoughts on this, first of all. And I'll tell you what, Kim, why don't we start with you, okay, since you're uh, since you're the newbie, at least to our uh, crowd here on the podcast, Kim Monson, of course, out of Colorado. You're just immediate to overview thoughts of Elon Musk and taking over Twitter. 
Well, I think it's really fascinating as we have journeyed through this whole COVID-19 Wuhan China virus experience here in the country and just seeing the censorship that was in many ways percolating underneath the surface. And we've done a lot of self-censoring where you weren't supposed to talk about politics or religion in quote-unquote polite company. But then we saw real censorship with what had happened at Twitter and many of the other uh, big tech companies. And I, I kind of wondered what could happen. And I never dreamed that Elon Musk would be the one that would be stepping up and standing up for freedom of speech, which is one of the bedrocks of the American idea. Right. Well, it, it is. And I know it's, I look at Elon Musk and I think, well, you know, I mean, I'm not really an Elon Musk fan. He has some weird eccentricities to him. And it's like, well, you know, OK, fine. And there's even some sketchy issues of uh, freedom of speech regarding him in the past. So, you know what? Who knows? But he says he's an absolutist of freedom of speech. And, you know, something, whatever it takes to actually allow uh, both sides of an issue to be debated on what operates as a public forum, the largest public forum in the world. I say, you know what? Okay, good. I think it's a good thing. But Roger, what do you think? Roger Marsh, of course, the bottom line out of the People's Republic of California. You're just immediate overview thoughts of this. I couldn't agree more with why this is so important. E echoing what Kim said and what you shared in your opening, Bob, that the reality is Twitter has become one of the most vicious places on social media. It's become a place that, uh, quite frankly, I don't often engage in for just the simple reason that everybody seems to want to cancel and, and destroy each other and win the argument and drop the mic. And there's a lot of political misinformation that gets spread all over the place. So the idea that the Twitter uh, board was choosing to censor just a select few people kill the Hunter Biden story, stop any sort of measure of hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin or whatever. I mean, case in point, the vice president of the United States test positive for COVID earlier this week. And my first thought was, OK, what kind of treatment is she going to get? Well, right. Certainly, she's going to get something, right? I mean, there has to be some way to treat the second most important person power-wise in the United States of America, or are we just going to put her in the hospital and hope she doesn't die? But if you follow Twitter, all you would know is that you, that's what they were going to do, right? Because mm -hmm. you wouldn't hear anything about ivermectin. You wouldn't hear anything about hydroxychloroquine or uh, monoclonal antibodies, anything like that, because that all got shut down. It all got flagged. Accounts got suspended. So the idea that Elon Musk is saying, look, you know, love me or hate me. I just want this to be a fair playing field. Once again, let's make this privately held and then say, OK, it's a fair forum. Go ahead and, you know, becomes the biggest bathroom wall in the world or whatever. People can write whatever their <laughs> opinions are. And and I think it, it, is he unlikely? Absolutely. He's as unlikely as Mark Zuckerberg. But the reality is, I think it's a breath of fresh air right now. I see lots of upside. I can't see a lot of downside to it. Yeah, but that's how I tend to look at it. You know, uh, Neil, Neil Boron, of course, uh, Neil Boron Live out of Buffalo, New York. I did a, an open line with my uh, listeners this week on this and asked them, do you think this is a good deal, a bad deal? Is this a good thing, a bad thing, or a who cares thing? And I, pretty much everybody said it was good. I, I, I expected a fair amount of Christians say, ah, you know what, who cares? It's Twitter, it's uh, their damaged goods in my mind, and Elon Musk, who cares? But uh, at least my listeners, the ones that called in, were very passionate that, hey, you know what, this is a good thing. The bottom line, uh, we now have an opportunity to have opposing views presented in a, a public forum that is you know, seen and read by hundreds of millions of people. And so this is a good thing. Uh, I tend to agree. I think overall this is a good thing. And But I'm just curious to get your immediate take on this. How are you looking at it? 
Well, first of all, uh, you mentioned that Elon Musk is a pretty eccentric dude. Uh, <laughs> I have friends that live on Mars that are elated that this is going down right now. I mean, <laughs> just absolutely love the concept. No, but seriously, um, one thing I'd like to know is what difference it makes that this would be a public company versus a private company. I mean, in this, like, how's that going to play out in the end? Because obviously, this public company, Twitter, was using its muscle, flexing its muscle to be able to censor speech. Uh, we see a lot of control coming from big government, big tech, big pharma. And, you know, it's this sort of like an underlying idea that uh, you're, you're allowed freedom of speech here in the U.S. Yeah, we champion that unless we disagree with it. And then we'll tell you what you can or can't say. So I just wonder how this is going to impact the company was able to shut down speech before maybe just with private control uh, he'll be able to make sure that never happens again if that's his ultimate goal who knows but um you know i mean we we're champions for cake bakers being able to bake cakes for who they want to um if elon musk is completely calling the shots at twitter from this point forward and he's going to allow free speech as we understand it here in the united states with some limits obviously then I'm all for it. I think it's a great thing. Yeah. Well, you know what? I tend to as well. So there's a lot of this to unpack, and uh, we're going to go a little bit deeper into all of this coming up next. A short break right now, and we'll continue this National Crawford Roundtable podcast next. Be transformed by the Word of God with Alistair Begg and Truth for Life. Every weekday, Alistair Begg teaches the Bible verse by verse through in-depth attention to the Word of God. You can listen to Truth For Life on many Crawford radio stations or listen online at truthforlife.org. Please support this important ministry with your donations at truthforlife.org or by calling 888-588-7884 and be sure to let them know you heard about Truth For Life from the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast. Continuing the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast with myself, Bob Duco, with Roger Marsh, Neil Boron. Uh, we've got Kim Munson of The Kim Munson Show out of Colorado sitting in for John Rush. We're talking about Twitter, Elon Musk. And so let me let me get you guys' thoughts on the liberal left-wing meltdown that's happening right now. I, I, I find it really interesting that the left is so, so apoplectic over this. They, they are just going crazy. This is the end of democracy, some of them are saying, and they're just so shocked and outraged. And even Twitter, Twitter right now is probably passing out emotional support puppies to the employees because they just can't handle the trauma of this. And I think to myself, what is it that the left is so upset about if you really stop and think about it? And I know this is going to be very uncharitable to the progressive left, but I'm just going to call it the way that I see it. There's two main issues that I see uh, about the liberal mindset in this country. Number one, we want to get our way. If we don't get our way, we're going to get really, really upset. We saw this after the 2016 race. Uh, the liberals out in the street crying and wailing at the moon because Hillary Clinton didn't win. They didn't get their way. Uh, but then secondly, liberals, it seems, uh, they don't like open debate, that they don't want opposing views to be heard. They're part of the woke cancel culture that says, if you don't agree with me, 
We're going to shut you down. We're going to silence you. We don't believe in fair debate. We don't believe in a fair game. Uh, you, you, you watch the gals on The View, ABC, and what do you have? You have uh, four liberals and then one quasi-conservative who's typically liberal anyway. So 4.5 versus 5 is what the liberal brain sees as a fair fight. And if you actually have equal time on the other side, the liberal left is offended by that. And I've always said... Anybody in any debate who wants to shut down opposing views, that just shows how weak your own position is. So I think liberals know they cannot defend their positions on just about anything through intellectual reasoning, debate, facts, and evidence. So their only game that they can play is let's smear, destroy, shut down, and cancel opposing views. And the fact that they're not getting their way, they're losing, and that conservatives are actually being allowed going forward to have a seat at the table. And it's like, hey, you know what? They get to hold a microphone too. Liberals, you get to hold a microphone, but conservatives get to hold a microphone too and share their views. The intolerant left can't tolerate that. And that's, at least in my opinion, what I see going on with them emotionally. But what do you guys think about that? And maybe, Neil, if we can bring it back to you, just some of your thoughts on on how crazy, upset, outraged, and shocked and dismayed the liberal left in this country is over, over what? Free speech, equal time? Well, I think it's common understanding that eventually truth prevails bottom line and if you're going to let truth into the you know the marketplace if you're going to bring it into the conversation that ultimately people are going to see truth for what it is and it's going to rise to the top um which is very threatening when you're trying to push a narrative and want people to believe things that are not true so yeah i mean it's a huge threat to people on the left and i think it's a huge win for people or conservatives on the right people that want to be able to express the other side of the story that's been so squashed not just by big tech but by the mainstream media i mean let's remember the mainstream media is all over this and i think part of this thing too that maybe has people up in arms i'm not a twitter user just you know i i believe in talking to people face to face like i'm so old school you know i'm on facebook but i hardly use it um not a twitter person at all but it seems to me that that some of the people who really rely on twitter are you know washington elites and hollywood superstars and maybe sports stars as well i mean but the the elite of our country are the ones who are using twitter and, and yes there are others who follow them and who listen to what's being said but the people that are making the big splash on twitter are largely liberals with a progressive mindset so if all of a sudden you're going to balance the scales and say that if you come with an idea that represents in somebody's mind misinformation or disinformation but actually happens to be the truth um, that's a threat because now all of a sudden we have to address those things publicly. We have to have an argument to put forward. And as you eloquently said, Bob, they don't have an argument to put forward. They really don't. Uh, Roger, your thoughts on just how crazy insane the liberal left is getting right now. They're so upset. They're so shocked by this. Uh, trending on Twitter right now is hashtag leaving Twitter. You know, it's like, <laughs> you bunch of babies. Look, it would be one thing, Roger, if Elon Musk said, okay, now equal. T- we're not doing equal time. We're doing affirmative action. We're going to go the other way now and say that Twitter is going to favor conservatives. And so therefore, we are going to start censoring any liberal views that a conservative would consider disinformation. We're also going to block and ban any news stories that we think are negative about Donald Trump or conservatives, and that's who we're going to be now. It'd be one thing if Elon Musk did that, but 
But he's saying, hey, liberals, left-wingers, keep on saying everything you've been saying. Nothing's going to change for what you can say. The only thing that changes is that other people are allowed to have their microphone turned on, too, that happen to ad- uh, uh, agree with you. Isn't this really revealing about how liberals in America think? Yeah, it, it really is unfortunate to think that there are people who are on the other side of the aisle that really think they're having a fair and quote-unquote educated uh, conversation and even a debate with people. But you realize that all of a sudden, when it comes to media usage, the uh, I'm going to date myself here. I remember as a boy, uh, every time the Harlem Globetrotters came to town, it was so much fun to watch them play, but you can't have a basketball game without an opposing team. So the Washington Generals would go out there, right? And that's, these are a bunch of guys who, I don't know where they found them, but the Globetrotters always won, <laughs> right? Remember, right. they do the crazy yeah. pass, the sweet Georgia Brown stuff, but they always, I think three times in their history, they lost because they got careless and the other team was actually playing and scoring. Something tells me that Twitter to liberals is the Harlem Globetrotters against the Washington Generals. I mean, they get to do, said, say whatever they want to, and they're always right, and that makes them feel so good. But then when you come up with counterfacts like, hey, monoclonal antibodies will actually treat COVID, it's like, I don't want to hear that. That's misinformation. That's fake news. That's, you know, Donald Trump didn't collude with Russia. It was actually Hillary Clinton spreading disinformation. The Durham Commission, oh, no, no, that's terrible. That's awful. You know, the, 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 the reality is Galatians 6 7 for us means a lot. Be ye not deceived, God will not be mocked. The truth mm-hmm. will eventually, you know, come into play. But to the liberal, dare I say, progressive left, that just doesn't happen anymore. I'm not surprised that what was the statistic I read this morning at something like 16% of MSNBC viewers and 28% of CNN viewers are all leaving Twitter, which is fine <laughs> because they, they should be gone from Twitter. I mean, that'll make it actually a, a more level playing field. But less than 10% of the public actually uses this platform in the first place. So it is infer- interesting how such a small percentage of Americans on a platform that not everybody uses, less than one in 10, becomes the standard that is reported in the media and how many more mainstream people are impacted by it because that's all you see on CNN. That's all you see on MSNBC and even you know the other uh news channels. One thing that frustrates me, and Neil, I'm with you. I don't use Twitter for a lot of different reasons. I don't like the fighting, but also I don't like the gaming of the system. The way people will put something out there just to kind of get a reaction, that whole made you look type of thing. Well, I Mm -hmm. said something rather controversial, but I'm trending right now. You know, everyone's Mm -hmm, retweeting me right now. And so you're, you're sitting there trying to build your brand and it doesn't even really matter if you say something that's true or right or pure (laughs) or noble or lovely. Basically, if it trends on Twitter, then you've made your point. Right. And which, by the way, Roger, I I could be naive here, but I don't think those liberals are going to leave Twitter anyway. I think they're saying that they will, but ultimately, uh, I think they won't. I think yeah, that kind they of a, will. Oh, yeah? Well, we're going to leave. Mm-hmm. You know. I know. Hey, look, how many people, how many Hollywood celebrities uh, really did follow through and leave the country and move to Zimbabwe when Donald right. Trump won? They threatened right. that they were going to. A bunch of the rest of us offered to pay for their plane tickets. But uh, bottom line, they chose not to go. And so I think the liberals are just going to uh, express hate and, and troll and do all the kind of stuff that so many of the intolerant, hateful left does. Uh, and, and they will perceive Twitter as being a right wing uh, you know outlet right now when it's not you merely have 50 50 sides both sides are actually allowed to give their opinions but uh, anyway let's uh, Kim Monson out of Colorado what are your thoughts on I mean you, you talk about this you on the air on your own show quite a bit and it does seem to me and you're politically conservative it does seem to me that there is a lot of intolerant hatred that comes from the left. And if they don't get their way, 
wow, they, they just go crazy. They just have a meltdown. And right now they're acting like a kicked hornet's nest only because conservatives are having their microphone turned back on along with liberals that had it on the whole time. Well, the reason I think, or one of the reasons that I think they're having this conniption is because their ideas are so bad that they can't stand up to any kind of scrutiny. And so the only way to shut the other side down is to not allow people to even be able to kick the tires on those ideas. And when people are presented with the truth, and people are smart, uh, most of them will start to understand what the issues really are. So that's why I think that there's been all of this censorship is because the ideas are so bad that they don't want uh, to have people really uh, you know, take a look at it and see if those, uh, their bad ideas can stand up to scrutiny. And mm-hmm. ultimately, the Bible verse, the truth will set you free, I think is ultimately true here. And that's what they're so afraid about or so oh, yeah. concerned about. I know. Hey, look, if you've got the truth on your side, you welcome debate. You welcome opposing views because it's an opportunity to either A, learn something new, or B, reinforce your own position by destroying opposing views and showing how weak they are. But anybody who is afraid of opposing views, that just shows how thin the ice is that you actually stand on yourself. Uh, Take a short break. We're going to continue this conversation next here on the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast. Dr. James Dobson left a successful career in academia to preserve and promote the biblical family in America. The radio broadcasting ministry of Dr. Dobson spans over four decades, earning him 17 honorary doctorate degrees and an induction into the National Radio Hall of Fame. Today, Dr. Dobson continues to champion marriage and parenthood through Family Talk. Listen every weekday at drjamesdobson.org. And be sure to reference the National Crawford Roundtable podcast when asked how you listen to Family Talk. Continuing the National Crawford Roundtable podcast with myself, Bob Duco, with Roger Marsh, Neil Boron. Uh, John Rush, not with us, okay? Who needs John when we've got Kim Monson <laughs> from the Kim Monson Show out of Colorado right uh, sitting in for John? Thank you, Kim. Talking about Twitter right now, Elon Musk uh, taking it over. And so uh, the, the left goes crazy with this. What do you think? I know in the second half there's a lot more to talk about because I want to get into some of the specific issues of censorship as it relates to uh, Twitter and, and how the debate will be opened up. But I am curious what you guys think about how this is going to play out going forward, because there are issues that Elon Musk is going to have to think about. And Kim, maybe I'll throw it to you first. Uh, what about some of the some of the issues of their own employees, for example? I mean, let's face it, Twitter has about 99.9% liberal left-wingers. Uh, how's Elon Musk going to handle this? Is he going to allow basically a, 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 an employment bloodbath at Twitter where he has to replace everybody and have a big revolt internally? That makes it difficult to run the operation. Do you think he's going to go a little bit soft and a little bit more establishment and maybe uh, allow you know, censorship but just not as strong as it was before? I mean, how does he manage, if you will, the, the company – and, and take it all the way to freedom of speech. Not to mention the fact you got other countries like China that are saying, well, hey, we still have our expectations of censorship that we want you to play along with as well. He is in a in very unique position right now because um, probably many of the employees have celebrated this censorship. And I was talking with a friend of mine the other day, and she said, uh, I guess there might be some court action even to prevent sabotage uh, by... Uh, employees 
regarding, you know, different operating systems or algorithms or whatever it is. And I hadn't, that hadn't crossed my mind. I think as, as, um, as conservatives, it, it never crosses our mind that something like that might occur. So he certainly has some big challenges. It'll be interesting to see how he can navigate that because the principle of freedom of speech is, is certainly laudable. That's where we want to be, but he does have some big challenges here. You do wonder about that, you know, Roger, how in the world is is Elon Musk going to hold Twitter together right now? Because you, you do wonder what's going to happen with the employees there. Uh, they're not going to listen to, hey, we're just being fair. We're giving equal time. That's all we're doing. That's not how the liberal left thinks. And then you do wonder, what about the other countries around the world that are used to uh, Twitter liberals playing along with whatever censorship demands they have? Well, it's the difference, as Kim was talking about, the truth of the truth setting is free. On the left, it's your tr- truth and my truth. On the conservative side of the equation, it's the truth. You know, and, and the great thing about the pursuit of the truth for us is the fact that the truth is the truth, whether we like it or not. I mean, that's the, the reality of our salvation. Right. Is we're sinners, sinful people. We live in a sinful, fallen world. Apart from Christ, we can't. I mean, we, don't, we need a perfect sacrifice. And so if he you know, it is our sacrifice and our atonement, then we have salvation. That's truth whether you believe it or not. But in the Twitter world, it's we have this truth that we've constructed carefully. We have a narrative that goes along with China and Russia and all these other places. And so therefore, now what Elon Musk is threatening to do is tell the actual truth instead of the perceived truth. And that will cause a problem. The statistic I read, Bob, you mentioned the 99.9%. I think it actually is 98.7% of Twitter employees identify as progressives or left. That was the the stat I saw this morning in terms of campaign contributions and the way they handle their own social media. So this is going to be a real problem from here for him as a manager, especially when you consider that, you know, we've got a lot of millennials working for him that have a different mindset than the way, you know, we would look at the world and the working world. But I I think the fact that just the fact that this is causing so much consternation, I know we'll talk more about censorship on the other side in the podcast part of the program, but it's been interesting to watch people on in the media talking about how a guy like Elon Musk threatening people with what he calls free speech. And all of a sudden they start spilling all their secrets as to how they self-censor and right. we've been getting away with it for years. I know. Uh, Neil, let me ask you real quick. Got about 30 seconds uh, to the break. So uh, just real quick in 30 seconds. Your immediate thoughts on how Elon Musk is able to actually control this and control his leftist employees. If I knew how to run a company like Elon Musk does, I'd be a billionaire. <laughs> Seriously, I, I have no idea how he's going to do it. But, I mean, honestly, money talks. And he's been successful at, you know, sending rocket ships into space and building electric vehicles and becoming a multi-billionaire. Many times over, I think he's going to have people close to him that can get in there and root out the bad apples and find a way to make this thing work somehow or another. If, if he wants his company right. to be successful, I think it's going to be successful. He's got a track record to say that he knows how to do it. Well, we got a lot more in the second half of this uh, podcast to address. What about the Trump factor? What about some of the individual issues of censorship? How do we define disinformation and misinformation and such? What about, quote, dangerous and threatening rhetoric? And uh, so a lot to unpack in the second half of this National Crawford Roundtable podcast. The first half you can listen to on your radio station. The second half, if your radio station does not play it, you can listen online. And you can go right now to CrawfordMediaGroup.net or wherever you listen to podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and more. You can also watch video of the podcast at myhopenow.com. And we will continue this second half of the National Crawford Roundtable podcast next.
This has been a Crawford Broadcasting production. Continuing the second half of the National Crawford Roundtable podcast with myself, Bob Duco, Bob Duco Show out of Detroit, Roger Marsh of the Bottom Line from the People's Republic of California, Neil Q. Boron, Neil Boron Live out of Buffalo, New York. We normally have John Rush with us, but... Uh, John Rush is not with us. He is uh, being replaced today by Kim Monson of the Kim Monson Show out of Colorado. It's great having Kim with us. We're talking about uh, Twitter and, of course, Elon Musk taking it over. Uh, I'm curious to get you guys' take on on what I consider to be a common tactic of the left. And this is kind of playing on what I was talking about before, how upset the liberal left is at the idea of conservatives having a voice. Here's the problem, okay? And Roger, I want to start with you on this. The uh, The liberal left knows that they can't speak with their outside voice what their inside voice really believes. In other words, they can't come out and admit we want to censor opposing views because we don't want opposing views to be heard. We want a monopoly on the dissemination of information, and we don't want anybody who disagrees with us to have a voice. They can't admit that because they know that sounds bad, and that's going to make them look bad on paper. So they have to play the exaggeration game. They have to say your opposing views are not merely opposing views. They are dangerous It's dangerous and harmful rhetoric that can cost people's lives. So when it comes to COVID, for example, if you have a view that says masks are silly, they're not really effective against COVID, the uh, holes in the masks and the cloth are way too large for the uh, to stop the droplets, and so therefore it's nothing more than a political prop. Okay, you can disagree with that view. No, I don't. That happens to be my opinion. But the liberal left, they can't say, okay, well, we want to censor that view because we disagree with it. Therefore, they have to say that is dangerous rhetoric that's going to cost people's lives. If you question the efficacy of vaccines or if you say that natural immunity is stronger than vaccines, doesn't matter how many doctors you have backing up what you say, that's dangerous anti-science rhetoric that must be shut down. Same thing with 2020 election. If you say, I believe that there was widespread fraud, and I believe we do need election integrity, and I do believe that the election was stolen and rigged, and it was stolen from Donald Trump for various reasons. Okay. That's called dangerous rhetoric because, don't you know, that's only going to encourage more dangerous rioting like we saw in Washington, D.C. on January 6th. Uh, Never mind the fact that after 2016, Hillary Clinton, Nancy Pelosi, and the Democrats, they could regularly tweet the election was rigged, the election was stolen, Russia collusion for years, uh, Black Lives Matter protests that actually really were deadly, unlike January 6th. Uh, Those things were never taken off of Twitter. So it just seems, Roger, that whether it's COVID information, whether it's election fraud information, whether it's transgender information, hey, Rachel Levine really is a man, uh, whether it's a global warming denial or anything like that at all, the strategy, Roger, is we have to shut that down because you're a real and present danger and threat to my fellow man, to the world, to the planet, to people dying, and therefore, that's why it has to be stopped. That's the exaggeration game that they play. That's how they justify it. And honestly, Roger, sometimes I think they actually convince themselves of that. 
They have to. I mean, that's what they learn in school from public education indoctrination centers from kindergarten on up. And, and the push, of course, to get universal preschool, of course, because the kids will be better prepared for school. I mean, the government wants to start that indoctrination process at the age of two. But then it goes all the way up through university where 98 percent of the professors are liberal or progressive, where conservative ideology is shot down. And then you have the whole concept you were just describing, the exaggeration game. But I have to admit the left wins the war of words and the war of branding and the war of marketing 99 times out of 100 over conservatives. Cons conservatives come up with an actual right. argument that is defensible. As Kim pointed out, I mean, the, the liberal arguments are horrible. Does anyone remember Air America? Remember, that was the left <laughs> right. leaning, which we, which we lovingly referred to as scare America, because all right. they could do was scare people. Rush Limbaugh shows up out of nowhere and all of a sudden pokes a hole in the fact that maybe Walter Cronkite and John Chancellor and David Brinkley and all those guys weren't as good and true Americans as we thought. I mean, they, that was kind of the accepted narrative and everybody was doing okay and we got along with it. But then here comes Limbaugh and all of a sudden, right-wing extremists are filled with hate. We'll start our own network. Right? And whatever happened, have you ever heard anyone have a debate, an honest debate from the left with someone from the other side of the aisle. It never happens. The last time I listened to was a guy called Tom Hartman, who was debating Stephen Meyer from Discovery Institute. And I, I tried, I was getting ready to have Stephen on the Bottom Line show. So I thought, well, this ought to be interesting. And Hartman talked over him for 10 minutes. Stephen Meyer didn't get a word in. And then, and we'll be right back with more. And I thought, wait, that's not a discussion. I mean, that's, it's, a, it's a diatribe. It's not a discussion. Oh, I know. You know, so basically this is what we're, we're, we're now facing is just the idea that I, we've all seen, I think, now the clip on, I believe it was MSNBC, of the guy saying, you know what this means? They're going to they're gonna squash opposing points of view. And, you know, they could actually, they could rig elections and we wouldn't know about it. And I thought, gosh, <laughs> what, when has that ever happened before? Oh, my goodness. I mean, it's just, it's, it's mind boggling to think that uh, I, I just got so animated, I knocked my camera over. This is so, it's, it's mind boggling <laughs> to think that this in fact could be a problem for the left when we're just sitting around saying, hey, shake hands with the rest of us. Welcome to the party. This is what we've been experiencing for decades. I mean, oh, so I know. Uh, well, I'll tell you what, the, the the exaggeration game is is really what they play. And it, it, it does seem, uh, Kim, that we have to, as conservatives, we have to stand up. We have to fight back. We have to correct the record. And we have to say, uh, no, opposing views on COVID or vaccines or natural immunity or mask wearing or things like that, uh, that is not, quote unquote, disinformation. No, that is not dangerous rhetoric. All right. If we say that we believe that there was election fraud in 2020, that is not encouraging and inciting violence. All right. You guys are lying. Just like Joe Biden saying that asking for voter ID is Jim Crow 2.0. Okay. Uh, no. Asking somebody to show identification before they vote is not the same thing as turning fire hoses and dogs on black people on the Edmund Pettus Bridge. No, it is not the same thing. And so, Kim, don't we need to really get aggressive, fight back, and do what Donald Trump does, which is go on the counteroffensive and say, you guys are making a mockery out of debate by these ridiculous, exaggerated claims on your part? Well, I think each of us has different styles. But what you have alluded to with Trump is he... He really, I think, got into the battle of ideas and also the battle of the narrative. We have, as conservatives, I think, acquiesced the narrative for many, many years, and we're realizing that words really do matter. And so I think we each have to understand our own style, 
but we have to get our brains around these issues, which takes work. They have what you alluded to is just a few words that they throw out there. There's no intellectual curiosity within their arguments. And I've realized that we really need to start to uh, take that narrative. So one of the things regarding election fraud, that's been, you know, uh, election deniers. And I decided that let's, let's engage in this battle here of the narrative. And so I'm calling those that say that everything was just fine, election deception deniers. And mm. I've met to a few people and uh, it seems to be somewhat effective. Sure. Well, you know what? It, but it's a very good point that you make. And Neil, your thoughts on this. It, we've got to be willing to say that take any issue. It could be the issue of, we'll say, the election of 2020. All right. You may somebody may look at that and say, I don't think there was widespread election fraud. I don't think there was enough to make a difference. And I think that Trump legitimately lost and it wasn't rigged. OK, fine. I don't mind somebody having that opinion. My thing is, Let's debate it. Let's let's see what the best arguments are for your side. Let's see what the best arguments are for Trump's side, and, and let's be willing to have that debate. But don't dismiss those who say that the election was rigged or stolen. Don't dismiss that as disinformation, let alone dangerous rhetoric that must be, must be censored and silenced. Because as I said before, after 2016. My goodness, you had all kinds of liberals and Democrats that were tweeting the election was rigged, the election was stolen, Donald Trump is not the legitimate president, he stole the election in collusion with the Russians and everything else. That that narrative went long, wide, and deep, and it went for years, and that was understandable. And now these very same people are saying, don't you dare question the 2020 election, or you're a crazy, wacky conspiracy theorist who's going to cause people to die. I just think we need to shine a big spotlight on the absurdity and dishonesty of the tactic that the left uses. Yeah, you know, in one sense, I think I've even brought this up on the program before. I just think that Conservatives and many Christians, when engaged in conversations like this, are just too nice. Like, nice guys finish last. <laughs> and right. yes, you know, our speech is to be seasoned with salt and we're to carefully weigh our words and represent Christ in all that we do. But uh, I think it was Roger said it earlier, you know, that the left controls the narrative. They're the ones who choose the words. And then we're fighting an uphill battle from that point on. And by the way, like, you know, if this whole, like, elect, what was the election stolen? And we're not even allowed to talk about it now because if, if you're... If you're just an election denier, you're a threat to our country, you're dangerous, you used that word earlier, Bob. But, I, you know, you see it play out, like in real life, uh, when in the difference between black, uh, you know, liberal politicians or, uh, you know, uh, influencers, as well as uh, black conservatives. Like, so here's the thing. How come nobody ever questions anything Al Sharpton ever says or Louis Farrakhan? I mean, if they say it, people just sort of receive it. On the left, I'm talking about it's. It's the gold standard. You know, whatever you say, we're just going to embrace it. On the other side, how many times has Clarence Thomas been attacked? I mean, the poor man was destroyed virtually before I ever made it to the Supreme Court. You got people like uh, Candace Owens, uh, Ben Carson, and others. I mean, they're African-Americans, highly accomplished, highly educated. And when they speak, nobody wants to hear what they have to say. How come? Uh, I'm talking about in the mainstream media, the liberal left and big, you know, big tech. Well, because they've got something dangerous to say. It's dangerous to our viewpoint. It's dangerous to what we inherently believe. And we can't let these people speak. So we have to discredit them. You know, they're just Donald Trump fans or something. Like, let's let's slap a label on them so that nobody will really pay attention to, to what they're saying. Because if we hear what they're saying, we might actually believe them and have our minds changed on this narrative that we've been embracing so dearly. 
Right, so true. Short break, we'll pick it up from there next here on the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast. Learn how to walk the narrow path with Steve Gregg. With over 40 years of studying the Bible, Steve Gregg is passionate about teaching you how to apply scriptural wisdom to every aspect of your life. Listen to The Narrow Path on many Crawford radio stations or online at thenarrowpath.com. The Narrow Path is 100% listener supported. Please keep this vital ministry going with your generous financial support and let them know you heard about The Narrow Path on the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast. Continuing the National Crawford Roundtable podcast with Neil Boron, Roger Marsh, myself, Bob Duco, Kim Monson sitting in for John Rush talking about uh, Twitter, Elon Musk taking over Twitter, of course, and the, the the left and how they're responding to this, playing the disinformation card, the exaggeration game. Uh, we must censor and silence anything about if you oppose if you don't think global warming is a real danger and a threat, okay, well, then that's science denying and you must be censored. You must be silenced for the sake of the lives of people and humanity and the earth and the planet and everything else. So if you believe that Bruce slash Caitlyn Jenner is a man who thinks he's a woman, that's not only wrong, that's that's dangerous rhetoric that's going to cost people's lives. Uh, it's, it's just – it's so – Ridiculous, And it's like, no, enough is enough. Which does bring up the Trump question. Donald Trump has said he is not going to go back on Twitter. Now he's trying to push his uh, truth social, uh, trying to get it to catch on. It really, although he launched it uh, a few weeks ago, it actually really hasn't been kind of officially launched until just a few days ago. And then apparently you can't even get on Truth Social on an Android phone. So he has had some problems getting this out. But uh, you know, I can kind of understand why he says that he doesn't want to jump over to Twitter because you got Devin Nunez who gave up a career to be the CEO of this uh, Truth Social company, uh, his uh, Trump media company. And you also have a lot of other people, a lot of other employees, people are investing time. And I can imagine that they would be pretty upset if Donald Trump was like, oh, Twitter's back open again. See you guys later. And he goes running over to Twitter. So I, I can understand that, that Trump needs to basically tell his people, no, I'm putting my eggs in the basket of truth social. Uh, but I got to be honest with you guys, I don't think that that's going to stick. I would be surprised if Trump does not ultimately end up back on Twitter again. And frankly, I think he should. Now, I know not everybody's going to agree with that, but what do you guys think? Let's kind of you know go around the table a little bit. Roger, what do you think? Roger Marsh, the Trump factor. What do you think about him saying he's not going to go on to Twitter? And do you think he should? Yes, I do. And I think he will. And, you know, the reason is because he's a businessman. I mean, simply put, the idea that he got Devin Nunez out of Congress, which was a big mistake. But again, Donald Trump showed us in the last 90 days he was in office who Donald Trump is. Donald Trump is not the American savior that we thought he or hoped he would be. He did some great things that conservative liked. But at the end of the day, when he was accused of, you know, this, that, and the other thing, and but he started lashing out. He cost the Republicans both seats, at least one seat in Georgia, because he told people, don't go vote because we don't trust the elections. He made it a big all about me pity party. And quite frankly, it was really discouraging to watch him drag people through the mud in terms of the it was stolen, it was stolen, it was stolen. It wasn't stolen, it was rigged. And he made it too easy for the left leaning media to say, you know, well, no, it wasn't. The big lie is that Donald Trump said it was stolen. It wasn't stolen, it was rigged. I mean, I mean, because that's it was. I mean, it, it really honestly was. But so quite frankly, 
But the idea now, Donald Trump's role in this whole conversation is, remember when they shut him down, when they took him off of Twitter, and everybody loves to get their, you know, pound of flesh from Donald Trump. You know, now you've got this judge in New York finding him possible contempt of court for civil charges of whatever the heck with his tax records. I mean, the, the left is always going to want to attack Donald Trump. The right thing for Donald Trump to do is say, look, Truth Social isn't going to gain any ground. Twitter is already a huge platform, and you were the martyred patron saint of Twitter when you were taken off there. The best way for you to kind of relaunch yourself, your brand in social media, is to say, you know, Truth Social is going to go where it's going to go. Uh, I'm going to come back on Twitter because, remember, I was taken off Twitter, and we fought hard, and now Elon Musk is doing the right thing, and I'm a champion for freedom and liberty in this. I think he should do that. I think from a business standpoint, it's a better way to build his brand. I just don't think his ego is going to let him do it. Yeah, well, and the point that you're making about uh, January 6th and what happened there at the at the end and the election and such, first of all, I do think it was rigged. I, I do think that oh, all, all of Donald Trump's complaints about that are absolutely right. The the only thing I disagree with Trump on on this is I don't think he should have been the spokesperson for this. I think he should have. And by the way, Rudy Giuliani should not have been the spokesperson either. But what he needed to do is get two or three really media savvy people, let them be the lightning rods, let them go out there and do the interviews and let them present very simple talking point bullet points. Uh, Here are five quick examples that everybody can memorize of why this election really was rigged. And this is the stuff that we can back up, the stuff we can prove, the stuff that's unambiguous and do that repeatedly. And then let Donald Trump kind of be the presidential person who, who gives credence to what they're saying, but he's not out there swatting at the mosquitoes himself with his arms. Uh, That's where I agree with you for marketing purposes that hurt him. I am simp- I'm probably a little bit more sympathetic to him than you are, Roger, just because this guy, he's still a human being. And for four years, he had to listen to, you're a Russian spy, you're a traitor, sure. lied about his friends and family, dragged through the mud, him being accused of every kind of false thing and having to run up the down escalator of politics mm-hmm. in a vat of molasses uh, and get being treated so unfairly. It's like, you know, the guy is only human. And so I, I get what you're saying, but I, I really have a lot of, uh, of empathy for, for what he's had to endure for the sake of this country. My thing is he's not perfect. He's a flawed man. He's made mistakes. But you know something? I'm going to stand up and applaud the man, salute him, and say thank you for sacrificing what you did, including financially. Uh, for the sake of the country and standing with born-again believers and pro-lifers. And and I I know, just my take on that, yeah. No, and to that point, what we just had here was an exchange of ideas that should be on Twitter back and forth. As right. No, you it need really to be censored. If you're disagreeing with me, then you need to. <laughs> can somebody right. cut Roger's mic, please? <laughs> I, I, I only work with professionals. It's very, very true. I, I, I agree with you on the, on the media side and the marketing side, especially since we know one of the spokespeople that he hired for him. He has a tendency and had a tendency to hire people that he liked 
that he trusted that he thought would actually work. And if he had been listening to, I remember having conversation with John Eastman, I mean, about the whole January 6th thing. And John wasn't brought in until the first week in December. He was playing, he was behind the eight ball from the word go. And John is great legal mind, but he's not the most media savvy person. I mean, he's not the person you needed on November 4th out there going. He went with Jenna Ellis and Rudy Giuliani, and that didn't work. You know, so then it becomes a last ditch effort where he's throwing Mike Pence out of the bus, and then you realize no one's really managing that. The left, unfortunately for conservatives, has an unfair advantage. They control the language, they control the mm-hmm, media, they right. control everything. And how many times, like, for example, take the, uh, the quote-unquote don't say gay bill, which doesn't say gay anywhere, oh, in, you lie. know, that whole thing. The White House, this is an attack on transgender youth. Really, the parental rights and education bill is somehow attacking five-year-olds who might be talked into being transgender by their attention-seeking mothers? I mean, the, the dishonesty honesty there, but that's the Oval Office, for crying out loud. I mean, at least, you know, we got mean tweets coming from President 45, but uh, they, 99 times out of 100, they were spot on. Right. Well, and look, Donald Trump, when he takes on a bull, there are times where he needed to learn to be a bullfighter which is to wave the red flag and step to the side and let the bull go smashing its own head into the wall. Uh, where, But Donald Trump is the kind of person to throw down the cape and just grab the bull's horns and start punching him between the eyes. And, you know, sometimes that strategy just loses. But uh, anyway, let's take another short break. want to get uh, Neil and Kim in on this as well. More of the National Crawford Roundtable podcast coming up next. Dr. Michael Yusuf leads the way for people living in spiritual darkness to discover the light of Jesus Christ. This tremendous outreach begins with the proclamation of God's Word through the uncompromising biblical teaching of Dr. Michael Yusuf. Leading the Way is here to equip and strengthen the church to stand strong and to advance the gospel in today's ever-changing world. Listen to Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Yusuf at ltw.org listen and be sure to mention you heard about their program on the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast. Kind of winding down this National Crawford Roundtable Podcast. Myself, Bob Duco, Neil Boron, Roger Marsh, uh, Kim Monson sitting in for Roger Marsh, talking about, or Roger Marsh, John Rush, talking about... Uh, uh, Twitter and, of course, Elon Musk taking over Twitter, uh, censorship, and, and that whole thing. Right now we're talking about Donald Trump. Should he get back on Twitter or not, yes or no? Neil Boron, what do you think? Um, well, I mean, he's, he's an American citizen. He's welcome to be on there like anyone else. I think – I th- let me just say it this way. First of all, uh, let me backtrack. I, I got I joined this podcast four seconds before we went on air today because of technical technical problems. So I didn't get a chance to say hi to Kim, but Kim, I just want to say hello and welcome, and you're doing a great job. I'm really enjoying hearing what you have to say, because um, the only alternative is listening to what Bob and Roger have to say, and you know that's kind of old hat. But <laughs> well, they keep um, cutting my mic off, so it's a miracle you can hear yeah. me these days. I know, really. Uh, you know, on the Donald Trump thing, let me. Uh, since we're having a free exchange of ideas, and Bob, I'll give you the last word because I bet you're going to push back on me. Let me just say that Donald Trump did some exceptional things. Uh, and by the way, I wrestled a steer once in a rodeo. I'll tell you that story another time. Uh, I didn't do as well as Donald Trump did, punching the bull between the eyes. But, um, no, Donald Trump lifted up all the rocks and showed us what, what Washington, can, Washington can really be about and big tech and the you know, mainstream media. I mean, he lifted up a lot of rocks. We saw cockroaches and salamanders and whatever else is living under there. And he wasn't afraid to do so. I mean, kudos to Donald Trump. He did an incredible job standing for truth in that sense. But, you know, in those minutes after the 
the insurrection began. And I think there's all kinds of questions. Who was that dude working for the FBI telling people to go into the Capitol building? I think there's things we don't really know about what went down that day. And I do not believe for a second that Donald Trump orchestrated that event or wanted that event. But I do think he's an incredible narcissist and he lives at the center of his universe. And when that thing started going down and he saw people rioting, which I think he thought, this is because they want me. Look at they want me. That he let it go on for far too long. Eventually stepped in and did something or said, why don't you all go home? But yes, he told him to march to the Capitol peacefully. I don't think he orchestrated that event, but when it happened, I think we saw the real Donald Trump. And for that reason... I don't think he can avoid going back on Twitter. I think Donald Trump will be back on Twitter because it, it remains, at least for now, the largest platform for the players in Washington, and he wants to have a voice in the largest platform. Therefore, I guarantee you he'll be back on Twitter. Well, and you know what? I, I tend to think you're right. He will be back on Twitter. And yeah, you're also right. I am going to push back a little bit on Donald Trump. I don't think that, uh, I don't think that it's fair for him to be hyper-scrutinized the way that he's been regarding January 6th. Okay, could he have come out faster and more forcefully in his stop it, stop it, cease and desist? Yes, okay, but in all fairness, he did come out and say, look, you need to stop, you need to go home, okay, we need to obey the law, things like that. I mean, he did say stuff like that. He didn't wait until the next day to say that. He waited a couple hours to say that. And I also have to remember... While his own vice president's life was in danger, but... Yeah. Okay, and no, you know what, in all fairness, no, I don't think Vice President Pence's life was actually really in danger. Not a single person died on January 6th from the protesters, not a single, you had a couple of hundred people that forced yeah, their but, way past police, and they were wrong for doing it, but then but the other Pence, several hundred people just walked on in. Pence was the guy who refused to carry out the, the president's wishes, at least, I, I don't know, orders, but wishes, to overturn the election. So he was the one who caught the brunt well, of the he, whole thing. Okay, but in all fairness, he wasn't calling for Pence to, quote, overturn the election. He was calling for Pence to say, I am not going to certify the results from these particular key states because uh, it hasn't played out enough in the courts yet. And so, therefore, we need to delay this to, 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 to make sure that the votes are accurate. Uh, the, the MSNBC talking point is he was telling Pence to overturn the election. I, I, I just, I got to push back. I don't think that that's... That's a fair representation of what Trump was trying to do. Uh, again, I'm not saying he did everything right, everything perfect, but let's remember, okay, Donald Trump was in the Oval Office and had to be taken, ushered by Secret Service to an underground bunker for his security. Why? Because of a bunch of liberal leftists rioting outside of the White House in Lafayette Square. And you know something? I don't hear any liberals out there that are, uh, that are you know, uh, criticizing uh, criticizing uh, them and saying, well, you know, in all fairness, we've yeah. got a bunch of Democrat rhetoric out there that seems to be pouring lighter fluid on on those rioters and the things that they're saying and igniting them more. And, and I just think, you know, if, if we're going to say Trump has made mistakes, yeah, he has. But I just, I don't want to move into the, well, let me jump on the, here, as we're beating up on, on Donald Trump here, hand me the sledgehammer too. Well, in Hallmark movies, people that wear black hats only do black hat things, and people that wear white hats only do white hat things. But in the real world, sometimes the people who wear the white hats do bad things too, which is why Jesus said, stop looking at the speck in your brother's eye. Why don't you look at the log that's in your own? So the bottom line is Donald Trump did not act perfectly, and, right, you know, I, agree. and I can disagree on this. And Mike Pence had some pretty harsh words about how he felt about what went down that day. 
how he felt like he got thrown under the bus by the president that he stood up for and served for so long. And so I think there's evidence there that Donald Trump was acting in his own self-interest as opposed to the best interest of our country for a little while, for a couple of hours maybe. And for that reason, I just, I, I'm unimpressed with how his presidency ended, even though he did some great things in the meantime. Will he get back on Twitter? I think so, because he wants to be back in the middle of the conversation. So you can say whatever you want sure. to finish. Uh, rant well, over, no, that's, but that, that's, that's my uh, ideas sure. in this free exchange of ideas format we have here. <laughs> and, and, and once again, now, yeah. here's, and here's Neil's mic not being cut off when it should be. What is going on? You know, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, honestly, Neil, most of what you say I agree with. I, I just, uh, I tend to look at Donald Trump and say the overall good that he did far, far, far outweighs the bad that he did. And he did do bad, okay? But the good far outweighs the bad, and I just think we ought to focus on that and not uh, and not say, well, hey, you know, I want to make sure that I join the uh, Club Donald Trump party because I don't want to look like I'm sweeping that under the rug. I'm not sweeping it under the rug. I'm just saying let's let's focus on the good that he did and let's not join the effort to tarnish him uh, because of a couple of hours and it yeah. just seems well, to me that that's that, that's large, what some I largely agree with you I largely agree with you but I would also say and by the way I just shut my mic off and I pretended that you had shut it off and like I was talking you could hear me <laughs> but just so you know you can't see me now but in the, when this thing comes out on NCR people will see that anyhow oh okay. um, there you <laughs> no but I mean yeah uh, you're right you're right we should we should always look for the best in everyone, actually, even those that we would consider to be our political enemies. So I'm not, I'm not about trying to bash Donald Trump, I'm, but I am about the truth, because mm -hmm. that's what we're talking about today. And the truth is, he made some mistakes. Yeah, but, and and on that we are in total agreement. And what do you say? You know, we're just about out of time. We only got about a minute left. But Kim Monson, let's give you a chance. So, Kim, if you could come in here and kind of bind, bind the wounds of me and Neil, okay? We're done. We're done pummeling each other now. Uh, give us some sanity to take this out, Kim, if you would. What do you think? Should Trump get back on Twitter? Uh, I think he probably should and will. But I think he also should make sure that we have. Uh, another place and another platform and i think that he should continue to to grow to uh, social as well i find donald trump a very interesting character somebody s said uh that that he's a guy he's the bull that brought his own china shop and i think that that's uh, probably true uh, uh i had made some notes here regarding january 6th i was talking to a millennial this january 6th and he said at that at this January 6th, when we were looking at the video of the horned man going into the chambers with the uh, Capitol Police officer, just one of them, walking behind him, he said he realized that it wasn't true. And I also have a new um, guest quite often, a millennial. She uh, actually, after she graduated from a very liberal high school, she walked and um, for Planned Parenthood in 2008. Uh, signing people up to vote for Barack Obama. And it was January 6th of this year that she changed and she's uh, coming back to conservatism because she said she looked at that and she knew they were lying to us. And there's other things that I'd written down, but I know we're probably up against uh, time on this, Bob. Yeah, well, you know what, and that we are. But uh, uh, yeah, there's a whole lot to uh, talk about and discuss and debate there too. But so I think one thing we can all agree on is there is a massive double standard about uh, conservatives that, on January 6th and, and what they did that was wrong, we all agree. 
and what liberals have been able to do through Black Lives Matter and Antifa rioting that has been way, way, way more dangerous and bloody and insurrectionist and whatever, and the liberal left has given them a pass in a way that I just think it just makes my eye twitch. But uh, there's a lot more to unpack and talk about, but we're out of time. So uh, we appreciate all of you folks listening to this National Crawford Roundtable podcast. Don't forget, you can listen to past episodes as well online, wherever you listen to your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and more. You can also go to CrawfordMediaGroup.net. You can watch video of the podcast at MyHopeNow.com. And Neil Boron, Neil Boron Live out of Buffalo, New York. Roger Marsh at the bottom line from the People's Republic of California. Myself, Bob Duco, Bob Duco Show out of Detroit, and Kim Monson of the Kim Monson Show uh, at KLZ in Colorado, sitting in for John Rush. Uh, Kim, uh, thank you so much for being with us. We appreciate you, you filling in uh, for John today. Thanks for being with us today. It was great fun. Thank you so much. Uh, you bet. And Roger and Neil, great talking with you guys. Uh, looking forward to next week. Is my Thank mic you, back Bob, on? Then. Am I, is hey, my you mic bet. Was okay. Good. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Thanks, guys. Whew. Yeah, <laughs> I, I know, man. Where, where's my inner liberal? It's like, no, no, no. Uh, anyway, uh, great catching up with you guys. Looking forward to next week, God and bless. everybody listening. Thank you so much for listening, folks. God bless. You've been listening to the National Crawford Roundtable podcast, a biblical view of culture, current events, and politics. Thanks for joining us. The first half of the podcast can be heard each week on this Crawford Media Group station. You can download and subscribe to the podcast at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and more. Apple users can rate the podcast, and we'd appreciate your five-star rating. The National Crawford Roundtable podcast returns with a new discussion each week. This is a Crawford Media Group production.